Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our sins in the same way that we forgive those sins against others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's sermon is titled, Founded on the Rock. And as I told you last week, we're starting a series this morning looking through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm very excited about this series because I love the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is central for what I believe about God. It's central for my whole theology. And uh, one of the guys back in Raleigh one time jokingly asked me if my Bible only contained Matthew 5 through 7 because I'm constantly referencing the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings therein. But... I hope by the end of today, and if not by today, by the end of this series, that you'll understand why the Sermon on the Mount is so central to me, and I hope it will become very central for you in the way you view life, Christ, and other people as well. But before we jump into the sermon itself, uh, let's give just a little background leading up to the sermon. So at the very beginning, we see Jesus is born to a poor family in Bethlehem, and there's this mean guy out of the Roman Empire, called Herod the Great. And he's threatened because he's heard a king's been born. And it's always a dangerous thing when you get a powerful man with a big ego. He doesn't like this. He's got to put an end to this king that he's heard is born. So he decides to pass this law that he's going to have all the male children in that area killed. All the male babies in that area are going to be killed. So Jesus and his family flee as refugees to Egypt to escape this violent dictator. And when enough times passed where they felt like, okay, Herod's died, and we should be safe now to go back to Galilee, they head back, but they don't back, go back to where they were originally from. They go to Nazareth and settle down there. Um, some years pass, and it's time for Jesus to start getting involved in his ministry that he was sent to be a part of. He goes to preach, and he leaves his hometown of Nazareth because a prophet doesn't go without honor except in his hometown, he said. And not too long after Jesus starts getting into his ministry, we see this character who's introduced called John the Baptizer. And John's this really weird dude. He lives out in the desert and lives on a, lives on a diet of bugs and sugar. and He's just a strange dude. And he starts, preaching, he starts preaching this message. And he says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. That was his message. He started baptizing people. And Jesus himself comes and is baptized. We see the Spirit of God descend like a dove and say, This is my Son whom I am well pleased in. Listen to him. They're preaching the kingdom of God. John the Baptizer is preaching the kingdom of God is here. And then Jesus shows up. And more than any other topic, this is what Jesus talks about, is the kingdom of God. But what exactly is the kingdom of God? Well, we just ask ourselves, what's a kingdom? Well, it'd be like a form of government for us, kind of like a monarchy. It's a way of government where a king rules, a king's in charge. So we can look at the kingdom of God as kind of a government that we're a part of, where Jesus is king. And if Jesus is king, then he makes the rules. We do what he says, right? And it's the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus kind of lays down what it's like 
to live in the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God looks like. Each government has its politics. Each country has their own form of politics. Each party within each government and country has its form of politics. And when you look at politics, it's just kind of to mean the way that human society should be arranged, in a way. Each country, each political party has their own ideas of what that should look like. But then there's the kingdom of God, which is a little different. And Jesus has ideas for what it should be looking like as well. How society should be arranged in that form of government, if you will. If you don't mind calling it a government for a while. And we can find that in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of to the kingdom of God what the Constitution would be to the United States. So we have all these different groups who have their way of looking at politics, who have their way of saying, this is the way the world should be arranged. But the thing is, none of them look anything like what Jesus said it should look like. Not the United States, not Canada, not Mexico, not anywhere else. Not Republicans, not Democrats, not liberals, not conservatives. None of them look anything like Jesus and what he taught. But of all the different ways we can look at how human society should be arranged, I want to choose to trust Jesus and his way because I trust him and believe in him. So let's take a look at that sermon real quick. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. And it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, And if you heard last week, before we left, I promised that if you came back this week, you'd hear the greatest sermon you've ever heard. Well, here it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its shaltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see the good works and give your glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law, and all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You also heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, 
and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would see you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be called sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. When you pray, say this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, your, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to their span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious of itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. <coughs> judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to you when you ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, and a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Amen. The Sermon on the Mount takes up three full chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the largest text we have of the words of our Lord. It takes up three full chapters. And I know it's unusual in a sermon to read that long of a text. But to do the Sermon on the Mount justice felt like it was necessary on the first week of this series to just read it all and hear it all in its entirety. And I'm going to do something a little weird. So we jump into the... We briefly discuss a part of the Sermon on the Text. In the next few weeks, however long it takes, we're going to be breaking down this into individual sections and discussing those. But on the first week, I want to start with the end. And there's a reason behind that. Before you start something, you should have a goal in mind, or it doesn't make any sense to do it. Any sports team, at the start of the season, they have a goal in mind to win the championship. If they don't have a goal set in mind, then it's kind of pointless going through all the practices and games because they're just doing it for nothing. So before we dissect the Sermon on the Mount week by week, we need to know why we're doing it. And over the years, people have developed different theories of what exactly the Sermon on the Mount is in there for. Some will say, oh, this is difficult to follow. It's in here to show us how sinful we are. We're going to read this and say, there's no way we can accomplish that. We can only be saved through Jesus. And well, that's true. I don't think that's what the Sermon on the Mount is for. Some will say, oh, the Sermon on the Mount is just for the spiritual elite, the most spiritual of spiritual people. Only they can follow these things, like preachers, priests, nuns, these kind of people. The Sermon on the Mount's for them. Well, it is for them, but I don't think it's just for them. And then there are some people who believe that Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount with the intent of us actually following it. And that's why I want to start with the end. In chapter 7, verse 34. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So he tells us right there what the point of it is. It's to do it. If you do these things that I say, you'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you don't do these things, you're a fool. Not my words, Jesus' words. You have a sermon on the Mount challenging. Yeah, it seems impossibly difficult to follow. But Jesus ends it by saying, do these things. Live like this. We have a tendency today in this culture to make Christianity just about believing the right things, worshiping the right way. 
one day, if you put your hope in Jesus, if you believe in Him, we have this hope of one day going to heaven. That's good and all, but that's not the extent of it. Jesus is also a teacher, and He teaches ways to live. And a pastor I listened to, Brian Zahn, he said, either we take Jesus seriously as a teacher, or we don't take Jesus seriously at all. We can't just accept Jesus as Savior and deny Him as Lord. We have to take Him seriously in all ways of life. When He teaches this difficult, challenging Sermon on the Mount, we have to take that seriously. We have to believe that He's calling us to live this way. Because it's His kingdom. He's the King. You do what the King says if you're a part of a kingdom. And if you believe Jesus is King, then we have to take Him seriously. Either we take Jesus seriously as a teacher, or we don't take Jesus seriously at all. Amen. Let's pray.